This is day 60 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing 1 Kings chapters 5 through 9. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us your word today. Thank you for giving us quiet and peace in our lives. And Lord, as we appreciate your grace and your presence, that we would not take the things we have for granted, that we would truly appreciate what you have done for us, that you have given us generously, and that you'd never give us just the bare minimum, Lord. And Lord, may we not give you the bare minimum in return, that we would give you our whole hearts, that we'll be obedient to everything you need us to do, as well as obedient to your word. Please guide us through your scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in place of his father, for Hiram had always been a friend of David. Then Solomon sent word to Hiram, saying, You know that David my father was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build the house for my name. Now therefore, command that they cut for me cedars from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will give you wages for your servants, according to all that you say. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly, and said, Blessed be the Lord today, who has given to David a wise son over this great people. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message which you have sent me. I will do what you desire concerning the cedar and cypress timber. My servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea, and I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place where you direct me, and I will have them broken up there, and you shall carry them away. Then you shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. So Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and cypress timber. Solomon then gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram year after year. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, just as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. Now King Solomon levied forced laborers from all Israel, and the forced laborers numbered 30,000 men. He sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in relays. They were in Lebanon a month and two months at home. And Adoniram was over the forced laborers. Now Solomon had 70,000 transporters and 80,000 hewers of stone in the mountains. 
besides Solomon's 3,300 chief deputies who were over the project and who ruled over the people who were doing the work. Then the king commanded, and they quarried great stones, costly stones, to lay the foundation of the house with cut stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the Gebelites cut them and prepared the timbers and the stones to build the house. Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. As for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, and its width 20 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. The porch in front of the nave of the house was 20 cubits in length, corresponding to the width of the house, and its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. Also for the house he made windows with artistic frames. Against the wall of the house he built stories encompassing the walls of the house around both the nave and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around. The lowest story was five cubits wide, and the middle was six cubits wide, and the third was seven cubits wide. For on the outside he made offsets in the wall of the house all around, in order that the beams would not be inserted in the walls of the house. The house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. The doorway for the lowest side chamber was on the right side of the house, and they would go up by winding stairs to the middle story, and from the middle to the third. So he built the house and finished it, and he covered the house with beams and planks of cedar. He also built the stories along the whole house, each five cubits high, and they were fastened to the house with timbers of cedar. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I have spoken to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Then he built the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar. From the floor of the house to the ceiling, he overlaid the walls on the inside with wood, and he overlaid the floor of the house with boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits on the rear part of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the ceiling. He built them for it on the inside as an inner sanctuary, even as the most holy place. The house, that is the nave in front of the inner sanctuary, was forty cubits long. There was cedar on the house within, carved in the shape of gourds and open flowers. All was cedar, 
there was no stone seen. Then he prepared an inner sanctuary within the house in order to place there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The inner sanctuary was twenty cubits in length, twenty cubits in width, and twenty cubits in height, and he overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the altar with cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the house with pure gold, and he drew chains of gold across the front of the inner sanctuary, and he overlaid it with gold. He overlaid the whole house with gold until all the house was finished. Also, the whole altar, which was by the inner sanctuary, was overlaid with gold. Also in the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high. Five cubits was the one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the end of one wing to the end of the other wing were ten cubits. The other cherub was ten cubits. Both the cherubim were of the same measure and the same form. The height of the one cherub was ten cubits, and so was the other cherub. He placed the cherubim in the midst of the inner house, and the wings of the cherubim were spread out so that the wing of the one was touching the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub was touching the other wall. So their wings were touching each other in the center of the house. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the house round about with carved engravings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, inner and outer sanctuaries. He overlaid the floor of the house with gold, inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood, the lintel, and five-sided doorposts. So he made two doors of olive wood, and he carved on them carvings of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread the gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees. So also he made for the entrance of the nave four-sided doorposts of olive wood and two doors of cypress wood. The two leaves of the one door turned on pivots, and the two leaves of the other door turned on pivots. He carved on it cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and he overlaid them with gold evenly applied on the engraved work. He built the inner court with three rows of cut stone and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. In the eleventh year, in the month of Bul, which is the eighth month, the house was finished throughout all its parts and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. Now Solomon was building his own house thirteen years, and he finished all his house. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was one hundred cubits, and its width fifty cubits, and its height thirty cubits and four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars. It was paneled with cedar above 
the side chambers, which were on the 45 pillars, 15 in each row. These were artistic window frames in three rows, and window was opposite window in three ranks. All the doorways and doorposts had squared artistic frames, and window was opposite window in three ranks. Then he made the hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 30 cubits. And a porch was in front of them, and pillars and a threshold in front of them. He made the hall of the throne where he was to judge, the hall of judgment, and it was paneled with cedar from floor to floor. His house where he was to live, the other court inward from the hall, was of the same workmanship. He also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom Solomon had married. All these were of costly stones, of stone cut according to measure, sawed with saws, inside and outside, even from the foundation to the coping, and so on the inside to the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, even large stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones, stone cut according to measure, and cedar. So the great court all around had three rows of cut stone and a row of cedar beams, even as the inner court of the house of the Lord and the porch of the house. Now King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was a widow's son from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in bronze. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill for doing any work in bronze. So he came to King Solomon and performed all his work. He fashioned the two pillars of bronze. Eighteen cubits was the height of one pillar, and a line of twelve cubits measured the circumference of both. He also made two capitals of molten bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of the one capital was five cubits, and the height of the other capital was five cubits. There were nets of network and twisted threads of chain work for the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars, seven for the one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars, and two rows around on the one network to cover the capitals, which were on the top of the pomegranates, and so he did for the other capital. The capitals which were on the top of the pillars in the porch were of lily design, four cubits. There were capitals on the two pillars, even above and close to the rounded projection which was beside the network, and the pomegranates numbered two hundred in rows around both capitals. Thus he set up the pillars at the porch of the nave, and he set up the right pillar and named it Jachin, and he set up the left pillar and named it Boaz. On the top of the pillars was lily design. So the work of the pillars was finished. Now he made the sea of cast metal, 
ten cubits from brim to brim, circular in form, and its height was five cubits, and thirty cubits in circumference. Under its brim, gourds went around encircling it ten to a cubit, completely surrounding the sea, and gourds were in two rows, cast with the rest. It stood on twelve oxen, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south, and three facing east. And the sea was set on top of them, and all their rear parts turned inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was made like the brim of a cup, as a lily blossom. It could hold two thousand baths. Then he made the ten stands of bronze. The length of each stand was four cubits, and its width four cubits, and its height three cubits. This was the design of the stands. They had borders, even borders between the frames. And on the borders, which were between the frames, were lions, oxen, and cherubim. And on the frames there was a pedestal above, and beneath the lions and oxen were wreaths of hanging work. Now each stand had four bronze wheels with bronze axles, and its four feet had supports. Beneath the basin were cast supports with wreaths at each side. Its opening inside the crown at the top was a cubit, and its opening was round like the design of a pedestal, a cubit and a half. And also on its opening there were engravings, and their borders were square, not round. The four wheels were underneath the borders, and the axles of the wheels were on the stand. And the height of a wheel was a cubit and a half. The workmanship of the wheels was like the workmanship of a chariot wheel. Their axles, their rims, their spokes, and their hubs were all cast. Now there were four supports at the four corners of each stand. Its supports were part of the stand itself. On the top of the stand there was a circular form half a cubit high, and on the top of the stand its stays and its borders were part of it. He engraved on the plates of its stays and on its borders cherubim, lions, and palm trees, according to the clear space on each, with wreaths all around. He made the ten stands like this. All of them had one casting, one measure, and one form. He made ten basins of bronze. One basin held forty baths. Each basin was four cubits and on each of the ten stands was one basin. Then he set the stands, five on the right side of the house, and five on the left side of the house, and he set the sea of cast metal on the right side of the house, eastward toward the south. Now Hiram made the basins, and the shovels, and the bowls. So Hiram finished doing all the work which he performed for King Solomon, in the house of the Lord. The two pillars and the two bowls of the capitals, which were on top of the two pillars, and the two networks to cover the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars, and the four hundred pomegranates for the two networks, 
two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowls of the capitals, which were on the top of the pillars, and the ten stands with the ten basins on the stands, and the one sea, and the twelve oxen under the sea, and the pails, and the shovels, and the bowls, even all these utensils which Hiram made for King Solomon in the house of the Lord were made of polished bronze. In the plain of the Jordan the king cast them, in the clay ground between Succoth and Zarethan. Solomon left all the utensils unweighed, because they were, they were too many. The weight of the bronze could not be ascertained. Solomon made all the furniture which was in the house of the Lord, the golden altar and the golden table on which was the bread of the presence, and the lampstands, five on the right side and five on the left, in front of the inner sanctuary, of pure gold, and the flowers and the lamps and the tongs of gold, and the cups and the snuffers and the bowls and the spoons and the firepans, of pure gold, and the hinges both for the doors of the inner house, the most holy place, and for the doors of the house, that is, of the nave, of gold. Thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in all the dedicated things by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils and he put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' households of the sons of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. All the men of Israel assembled themselves to King Solomon at the feast, in the month Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Then all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. They brought up the ark of the Lord, and the tent of meeting, and all the holy utensils, which were in the tent. And the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel, who were assembled by him, were with him before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen, they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the house, to the most holy place, under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim made a covering over the Ark and its poles from above. But the poles were so long that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. 
for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. Then the king faced about and blessed all the assembly of Israel, while all the assembly of Israel was standing. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and has fulfilled it with his hand, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel from Egypt, I did not choose a city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, who will be born to you, he will build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his word which he spoke. For I have risen in place of my father David, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have set a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them from the land of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. If only your sons take heed to their way to walk before me as you have walked. Now therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place. Hear and forgive.
If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and takes an oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act, and judge your servants, condemning the wicked by bringing his way on his own head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy, because they have sinned against you, and they turn to you again, and confess your name, and pray, and make supplication to you in this house, then hear in heaven, and forgive the sin of your people Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain, because they have sinned against you, and they pray toward this place, and confess your name, and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sins of your servants and of your people, Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land, which you have given your people for an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence, if there is blight or mildew, locust or grasshopper, if their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hand toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to your fathers. Also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name, and your mighty hand, and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, to fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and deliver them to an enemy, so that they are taken captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive, and repent, and make supplication to you in the land of those who have taken them captive, saying, We have sinned and have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. If they return to you with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, who have taken them captive, 
and pray to you toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name? Then hear their prayer and their supplication in heaven, your dwelling place, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you, and make them objects of compassion before those who have taken them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance, which you have brought forth from Egypt, from the midst of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and to the supplication of your people Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you have separated them from all the peoples of the earth as your inheritance. As you spoke through Moses your servant when you brought our fathers from Egypt, O Lord God. When Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. And he stood and blessed all the people of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. May the Lord our God be with us, as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God, day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant, and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no one else. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord your God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, because there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat of the peace offerings. For the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offering, and the grained offering, and the fat of the peace offerings. So Solomon observed the feast at that time, and all Israel with him, a great assembly, from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God, for seven days and seven more days, even fourteen days. 
On the eighth day, he sent the people away, and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart, for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built, by putting my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons indeed turn away from following me, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them, and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples, and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and adopted other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. It came about at the end of twenty years, in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold according to all his desire. Then King Solomon gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. So Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they did not please him. He said, what are these cities which you have given me, my brother? So they were called the land of Kabul to this day. And Hiram sent to the king one hundred and twenty talents of gold. Now this is the account of the forced labor which King Solomon levied to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer, and burned it with fire, and killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer, and the lower Beth Horon, and Bealath, and Tamar, in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. And all the storage cities which Solomon had, even the cities for his chariots, 
and the cities for his horsemen, and all that it pleased Solomon to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land under his rule. As for all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the sons of Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly, from them Solomon levied forced laborers, even to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of the sons of Israel, for they were men of war, his servants, his princes, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who ruled over the people doing the work. As soon as Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house which Solomon had built for her, then he built the Milo. Now, three times in a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he built to the Lord, burning incense with them on the altar which was before the Lord. So he finished the house. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships in Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, sailors who knew the sea, along with the servants of Solomon. They went to Ophir and took 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. So, as promised, we saw the construction and the completion of the temple. The king of Tyre, whose name was Hiram, he was a friend of David's, and he heard that Solomon was a wise and capable king, so he made peace with him, and he gave him whatever he wanted. Now, the area that Tyre is in is near Lebanon, that we know it even today. And apparently, at that time, it was very forested. The forests there were of the most highest quality wood that you can get in the region. And so that was what was used for the construction of the temple. And so they made a, an agreement to send workers and materials to Solomon. So this was a, an excellent partnership here. And Solomon would give him resources in return, as well as just good diplomacy. And so you see the construction of everything in great detail, just as detailed as it was in the building of the tabernacle. So it gives you a really good mental picture of what everything looks like, as well as it, it can be very accurately drawn to where we can get a scale model of what the temple actually looked like or get close to it. So that's really neat that we can see what it it originally looked like, you know, a few thousand years ago. This is a big deal because, as we know, the temple is no longer the what it used to be because it had been ransacked in times past. It had been burned down at least twice. So it's good to see what it used to be and, and to preserve its original former glory. So you see that Solomon not only built the temple, but he also built his own house. He built his own palace. 
with the same kind of materials. Now, he also mentions that he built two pillars for the temple, one named Jachin and one named Boaz. Very interesting how the name Boaz is still here. The name Jachin means that he establishes. So that's honoring God in that way that he establishes us. And Boaz, his name means in him is strength. So he establishes and in him is strength. Those are great pillars to have, not only in our lives, but also for the temple itself. But also I think in some way it's quite possible that Solomon did this to uh, honor his ancestor, his, I believe, his great-grandfather or his great-great-grandfather. Boaz. And so it took several years to build this temple, but eventually he finished it. And so he, in chapter 8, he assembled the whole nation to the dedication of this temple, and he brought in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's very interesting about this is what was in the Ark. It mentioned that the only two things that were in there were the two tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments, which we know belongs in there. But if you recall some of the other times that we have read what was in the Ark, like what in 1 Samuel, for example, it mentions that there were two other things that were in the Ark. It also mentioned that there was a jar of manna in the Ark that had not spoiled and never did spoil. And there was also Aaron's rod, the one that budded and produced almonds. That was also placed in the ark, and it didn't die either. And yet now we see it today that it's not in there anymore. Well, bear in mind that it has been going through a lot of travel since that time. Not only has it gone through several hundred years of passing it along, you know, movement through the tabernacle. But also remember that the Philistines at one, at one point, they took it. And so perhaps they took something out of it. But thank God at least the Ten Commandments are still in there. So just a small little note to, if, we, if you happen to notice that. Now as soon as the priests came from the holy place, the presence of the Lord filled that temple, and then Solomon began his prayer for himself as well as for the nation. And this was an attitude of praise and submission to him. He is dedicating the entire nation of Israel to God. And everything that God had promised to David was fulfilled through Solomon. You see, if you again look at this comparison with First Chronicles, and also through other parts of Scripture where it talks about what David wanted to do. Remember, we read about this as well in, I believe, Second Samuel, where he wanted to build this temple already. But David was told that he could not because he was a man of war, a man of bloodshed. And he wanted somebody who was pure, somebody who was not defiled by war, to be the one to build the house. And that was Solomon. But David did everything that he could except the actual building of it. Because you read elsewhere that he's the one that stored up all the materials. 
he stored up every piece of iron, every piece of gold, every piece of silver that you would possibly need for the blueprints of this thing. He drew up the blueprints for it. He did everything except actually build it because he wanted it to be done and it was upon his heart. But he obeyed the Lord and he didn't build it himself. He left it for Solomon and gave him basically all the materials to do so with the exception of the stone and the wood which he got from Hiram, the king of Tyre. And I just love what he says in his prayer. He's, there's some really good things to look at here. So, first off, we look at verse 23. O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. That is, There is no God like this. You know, there's a lot of gods in this world. Gods, I use air quotes here, or lowercase g's. They're not really gods at all. But there is no God like him. There is no God that we have ever created with our minds or with our hearts that even comes close to the true God. Think about all these other religions who follow so many pagan gods. None of their gods are this way. Their gods don't make covenants with them. Their gods aren't faithful to them. Their gods aren't loving like our God is. Most of these gods demand stuff to be appeased. And they're always angry for some reason. But the Lord God is not that way. He's angry when we sin, yes, but he's a God of love and grace. He's much more than that. And we're, we're actually going through this in our Tuesday night studies. We're going through Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And we're going through how... God can be a God of goodness, and yet he's also a God of severity. He is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And you can't have both separate from each other. It's a complete picture. You can't just have the good part of God, and you can't just have the just part of God. They both have to come together to balance themselves out, because that's who he is. He's perfectly good, but yet he's perfectly fair and perfectly just. His wrath will be perfectly distributed. There's no God like that. No God compares to ours. He understood who God is as well, that this house was dedicated to him, but it wasn't to contain him. Like he says in verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet have regard for the prayer of your servant, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day. He wanted his name to be placed there, to fully be dedicated, to complete what God originally had designed for the nation of Israel. He had chosen Israel to be his chosen people, to be his holy, separate nation that is supposed to be unique in all the world. And this is almost like the icing on the cake. This is the, the final step to where 
This temple is the monument that the Lord is God of Israel. And so while God himself doesn't live necessarily in this temple, his name is attached to it. Kind of like a, a marriage covenant, right? When a woman marries a man, traditionally, they take the last name of the man and join that family. And it's the same way to where Israel takes on the name of the Lord. And in the same way, the Lord associates his name with Israel completely. They're, that where the two cannot be apart from each other anymore. And God honors that, and he did so. And then you see Solomon give all these conditions. Well, if your people do this, and yet they repent, and they hear, and they do this and this, then hear from heaven and forgive and restore them. He's asking for his compassion and his grace and his forgiveness. But he recognizes as well that it requires most of the action from men, right? If a man sins against his neighbor and has made an oath, and he comes to take a, a, an oath before your altar, then do this. If your people are defeated because they sinned and they turn to you and confess your name and pray, then do this. If the heavens are shut up because there's no rain, because they sinned and they pray and confess your name, then do this. So you just see that there's all these conditions. He's not giving, he's not telling God what to do, but he's asking God to be faithful to his people and to have mercy because he knows Solomon is very wise, and I'm sure he's keeping track of the history of his nation so far. And the cycle, he's calling upon the cycle to break the cycle, if possible. And if not, when the cycle is to be broken, that the Lord would be faithful to his people. And surely we know God has always been that way, but he is reminding not only the Lord himself, but also the people that, this is what we're going to do. He's not saying if, as if it's a foreign concept. On the off chance that Israel does this, he's counting on it. And just like he says here in verse 39, you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways. Act in justice that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to their fathers. And then you start seeing some concepts that you would think don't belong here because of what the implications are. We know that in the time of Jesus that the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They represented the religion in many ways. However, Jesus called them out for their hypocrisy. He called them out for not understanding the spirit of the law. They took the law literally and legally, but not the spiritual aspect of it. Why was this a rule? Why was this a law? Why was this particular thing this way? What was the point of that? And that's important to know because they did not know it. But here you can see, not only in, in the book of Samuel, which we already read, but also in this prayer, 
that Solomon understood the spiritual aspect of the law. And this is important because this is not a new concept in the New Testament. This is something that has already always been there, and yet was not fully understood the way it should have been. But yet Solomon understood it. Take, take a look at this, for example. It's as if he was calling out the fact that eventually all the people of the world need to fear the Lord. They're not Israelites, but they will fall under the banner of the Lord the God. Verse 43, Hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls upon you. A foreigner? A Gentile? A Gentile calling upon the Lord? in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name to fear you, as do your people Israel. This is significant. What did the Pharisees think? The Pharisees thought that the Jews were the only ones who could know God. They had to be Jewish in order to be saved by the Lord. But that's not the case, is it? We know that. We're Gentiles. Most of us listening to this, and myself included, are Gentiles. And yet we believe in the Lord, we fear his name, and we know him, he knows us, and we're saved by him. This is a call to the Gentiles knowing God, not just not just Jews. So this is extremely important, especially since this is several hundred years before Jesus walks the earth. This is not a new concept. Verse 46, there is no man who does not sin. He got it. There is no one who's good, not even one. And here's another one. It mentions here in verse 47 that they're going to be taken captive because they sinned. And they repent. That's a big word you don't see a lot in the Old Testament. They repent and make supplication to you, admitting that they're sinning. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have acted, acted wickedly. And so while they're in captivity, they turn their hearts back to the Lord, and he's asking for God to restore them to the land. But this is what's the most interesting here. If you go a little further down, verse 50, it says, Forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you. And this one seems a little odd, but again, another spiritual aspect of the law. Make them objects of compassion before those who are taken cap taken them captive, so that they have become so that they may have compassion on them. Why would you want to show compassion to the people who have enslaved you or have taken you captive? Isn't that part of the law of Moses? To love your neighbor as yourself? Right? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. You do those two things, you're fulfilling the entire law. But not only that, isn't this a form of evangelism? Couldn't we say that? Couldn't we say that by showing them who God is to the Gentile people, that they too may learn to love the Lord their God? And they can accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Doesn't that sound very similar? 
Yes, Jesus hadn't walked the earth yet, but it's the same concept. To love the Lord for who he is. Because if you love Christ, you love the Lord. They're the same thing. He is the exact image of the Father. So if you love the Son, you love the Father because they have the same character. They have the same personality. They have the same power, the same deity. So that's important. So you see a form of evangelism here. Give them, Make them objects of compassion. Why? So that they know who the Lord is and they can believe on him. Isn't that what the New Testament missionaries did? Paul and Silas and Barnabas and isn't that what they did? They were objects of compassion to Gentiles and they came to know Christ. This is the same kind of thing. And this is in the Old Testament. So if you didn't think it was there, it's there. And this is proof. Now, here's something to note as well. Verse 54 says that he was kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven. We don't pray like that anymore. Nobody looks up to the sky with their eyes open, their hands spread out and on their knees. Does it matter? No, this is, this is an honest question. Does it really matter how we pray? If we pray sitting down on a sofa with our heads bowed and our hands clasped together? Is there a difference between that and doing it the way Solomon did? Is, do you get something more out of it? Absolutely not. This is a respectful way to do it, certainly. Both of them are. But it, what is? how does God operate? He looks at the heart, right? So what's going on in your heart is what is truly the posture that he looks at. So just bear that in mind. It doesn't we're not like not like we're supposed to do it this way because there's some sort of ritualistic way of praying. And that's important to note. This is a spiritual matter. It needs to stay spiritual. Here's another one to affirm God's power and his consistency. Verse 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise. God has never failed and he never will. That's reason enough to trust him. There's no one on earth who's like that. Not only that, but he understood that God draws you to himself. We don't draw near to him. He draws near to us. He invites us. He's the one who calls us. Verse 58, that he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways. He understood. This is not something you could just will for yourself. No human being can find God with their own power. God finds them and calls them to a higher calling. And above all, Solomon wanted in verse 60 that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is nobody else. There is no other God. We make our own gods. We prop them up for our own desires, but there is no other God on earth or in heaven. The Lord is God and there's no other. And then you see just a massive slaughter, 150,000 
animals. That is a lot of sacrifices, but I'm sure the Lord was loving the state of the heart of these people. But again, God doesn't just like mass murder of animals. But there's so much sin in the nation of Israel that it had to be done this way. Solomon just wanted to make sure everything was consecrated. Everyone in his kingdom was clean. And everyone went home from having almost a two-week-long feast. They went to their homes joyful and glad of heart because of everything that the Lord had done. Amen. That's something we as human beings should appreciate every single morning. Especially as Americans, we are so spoiled. We take a lot of stuff for granted. And I think with the turmoil that's going on in our nation right now, we start seeing that some of those liberties that we greatly enjoy are in jeopardy. We should hold fast to the stuff that we have and just appreciate what the Lord has given us in this free country while we still have it. Then in chapter 9, we see the Lord appear to Solomon a second time, and he reminds him, saying, First off, Solomon, I like what you did. I heard you. I wish I wish God would do that with me. You know, sometimes I wish when I'm praying and I earnestly need something, I wish the Lord would appear to me and said, I heard you. We know that God hears us. But this was a confirmation that I'm going to do something about it. Sometimes the waiting is hard, though, isn't it? When it comes to prayer. Sometimes the, the effect is immediate. Whatever you pray for, sometimes he brings it. Like you're asking for peace, or you're asking for wisdom, patience. And sometimes he'll give it to you immediately. But there's those requests sometimes where you ask for something, and it's a wait. You have to wait. Wait on the Lord. Those ones are hard sometimes, right? So in this case, Solomon got clear confirmation. I heard you, and I will do what you asked. However, let me remind you what our covenant is, what our contract, what our agreement is. You do everything like your father David did, walk in integrity, Pursue me with all your heart, and I will keep you as king forever. However, if you don't, then there are consequences. Not only that, but he gives a clear prophecy for this temple, doesn't he? Like it says in verse 6, If your sons indeed turn away from following me, they don't follow my statutes, and they go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land, and the house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. It will become a proverb and a byword among the people, and this house will become a heap of ruins. This indeed has happened at least twice, right? This revered temple will be destroyed, and it has been multiple times throughout history. Babylon did it, the Romans did it, and it's still not rebuilt, right? The original temple that Solomon built is not what it used to be. So this was prophesied because this is exactly what happened. And then I thought this part was very weird. 
when he gave Hiram 20 cities after uh, the king of Tyre had given Solomon all these resources. It wasn't just a one-sided deal. He was getting stuff too, but he said, as as a thank you, here's 20 cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram went and he saw them and he's like, why did you give these to me? And so he called the na- this area Kabul, which in Hebrew means worthless. <laughs> he wasn't very grateful for this gift. And apparently, uh, later on, we'll see that Solomon regains that territory f- for whatever reason, but he didn't like the gift. So, okay. But instead, Hiram sent him 120 talents of, sil- of gold. 120 talents is about four and a half tons, four metric tons of gold. It's a lot of gold. And that's the only part of it. Because it mentions at the end of chapter 9 that they went to Ophir. Now, you see the name Ophir often. We don't really know where this is. I mean, I think Ophir has been mentioned since Genesis. And we don't know where this place is. But apparently Ophir was where a lot of precious gems and gold was found. Now, Ophir has been, by scholars, they think it's in southern Arabia or India or East Africa. We don't really know, but you would think that in the modern world would want to know where this place is so they can get all the stuff from there. But we don't know to this day where Ophir is. But apparently they went to Ophir and they brought back 420 talents of gold from there. Six, almost 16 tons, or four, over 14 metric tons of gold. Man, oh man, that's a lot of gold. We're going to get soon here to how wealthy Solomon was. And it's amazing. He was... In my opinion, as well as what the Bible suggests, he was and is the richest person who ever lived. You think we have some rich people today, not even close to what Solomon had. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.